the live music graveyard. Oh, of the world! Of the world! Of the world! Don't forget the best part. What's after breakfast? What's before lunch? It's Austin, Texas. It's weird brunch. I sent my mom a pinata gram which I got an ad for on like Facebook or something. And it's just a little donkey pinata and you can like write a message on it. And they were supposed to tell me like when it shipped and arrived and I never got any of the info because mom is in Arkansas at their cabin and they don't even have like a fucking physical address. So I can't just mail shit there. It has to be sent to the post office and they have to hold it so she can drive into town and pick it up. Anyways, what? it was a whole mess. But I didn't realize there's there. still places without like addresses. Right? Yeah. She has a P.O. box now after all of this. But still, you can't get shit delivered there. Because Wait, she didn't have a P.O. box? So they were oh. just like... Yes, I mailed it to the post office in Gentry. I think Gentry or Gentry. I don't know how you say it. Arkansas. And had to write or tell them to put like, please hold for pickup. And mom had to go there and be like, I have a package. And they were like, oh, here's your pinata with your name on it. <laughs> Man. Old I trust school. that. Like, what happens if there's an emergency at the house and you have to be like, well, our exact coordinates are 0 0.05 north, due west, whatever. The Arkansas emergencies are, you just have to figure it out and hope that you have snake poison ointment. <laughs> Man. You're going to turn right past the Valero. And then you're going to take a left at the sixth Walmart you see. Our Walmart is like Starbucks there. There's like one on every corner. Right. Tiny little Walmart. Didn't they used to like hold mail for people at like their favorite bar? It's like, hey, I got to get a letter to Joe. I'll just send it down to, you know. When we still... Even so, my dad's bar opened in 2006 and we got mail for a good amount of our super regulars at the bar. That still happens. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, it's gonna go there. And, and if you know, there's always somebody there to fucking pick that shit up and check it every day. It's like, well, fuck it. Just send Ooh. it to the bar. It, Always it's just happens. because people don't want to learn an address. They're like, well. I mean, it could be that. It, like, I always had, when I lived in an apartment, I always had shit sent to work because I didn't want to have to go to the, uh, I don't know, you know, the little common room at the front desk to pick up my packages. I could just get it at work. So I guess it's the same thing if you don't have a job and you're an alcoholic and you spend all your time at a bar. Where are you all the time? Good point. Mm -hmm. That rules. <laughs>
Lisa, just start sending all your, maybe we should all start sending our mail to Barton Springs Saloon because you can still do it. Yeah. Even though wow. the saloon isn't really open. Yeah. How do you get it now? Do they like, do you have to favor it? Like, please go to the saloon and get my mail. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Who fucking knows? And probably I don't more work reliable there. than the post office after Trump's done with it. Like to actually send a Grubhub delivery driver to a pub to get your mail. No, what is happening with the with the post office right now and Trump? I know he was trying to tell them that they don't get paid or something. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what he's just like no no money for anybody is his whole move right now with the WHO and the post office and Michigan and whatever Nevada. He's just threatening to like not give money to people. Probably because he need, needs it to pay off his Chinese debt. <laughs> God. We watched um, The Long Shot last night. Have y'all seen that? Thing? Huh? Wait. Is that the oh, one with Seth Rogen? the Jordan documentary. No, no. We did watch The Last Dance, which was great. But The Long Shot is with Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron and June Day and Raphael. And Bob Odenkirk plays the president and he's an yeah. actor and he decides that he doesn't want to run for a second term of his presidency because he wants to start, he wants to go back to like movie acting because he was a TV actor. It's very funny, but like all the parallels they draw with Trump are wonderful, especially now. So if y'all need a laugh, God yeah. damn it, go watch that movie because it's great. I'll have to check that. I watched... Uh, it, was, it was way better than I thought it was going to be. It's, it's fucking funny. What were you saying, Karina? Sorry. I rewatched The Hudsucker Proxy last night, um, which is a weird Coen Brothers movie and not like a high piece of art, but it's one of my favorites of theirs because it just makes fun of screwball comedies and I love those. Um, but it was trippy watching this movie from like 94, 93 totally nailing Amazon and Jeff Bezos. Like, it's exactly making fun of what Amazon is now in 2020. Really? So, trippy to watch that, yeah. Damn. This weird, like, Brazil-style parody of an awful conglomerate corporation is Amazon. It's great. That shit is so wild. Like, all the predict, like, idiocracy and how fucking accurate it is even now. Like, yeah. well, I mean, I guess, you know, everybody sees the future that's coming and makes it even more extreme. And then we're like, oh, fuck, it is more extreme. Shit, bitch. <laughs> uh, and that's where we are. But, Can't wait to see what's more extreme than the Thunderdome. <laughs> Oh, man, oh, we got a lot of movies that haven't come true yet that are probably up next, right? That's mm -hmm. true. Probably Armageddon or something a little more. Or oh, the asteroids, yeah. Yeah, that. Yeah. I don't know. Welcome to Weird Lunch, like, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good betting pool game of like which movie from the future is going to be next. That's true. Oh man, that's a... we, sh we should probably also just start a tontine between all of us to see who survives the longest. 
Who gets all of our mm. no money left? <laughs> yeah. Who gets, I will who gets likely the Chardonnay in your garage? Go. I want the Chardonnay yeah. in your garage. I'll you take can it. have pretty much as much of it as you want. I don't want any. But it is hard to drink. <laughs> you know, it'll, it'll help me give away gifts for the next couple of years. I like that move. Just cover it with a different label, though, because people know the Trader Joe's symbol usually. I don't think my grandma does because Trader Joe's didn't exist in Texas until, or at least in Austin until what, like two years ago? She didn't know. Uh, more like 10, but still, yeah. Really? 10 years ago? Yeah, that one over. Definitely been more than two. The one down by the power plant? Yeah, now my sea home, sea home got redeveloped in what, 2012? It's probably been almost 10 years. Yeah, maybe you're Maybe you're right. Well, <laughs> uh, oh, did we say I'm Karina Magyar? Oh, I'm Lisa Friedrich. Oh, I'm Whitney Lamond. <laughs> okay, then. There we go. You guys ready for some stories that'll take your mind off current events and or possible future events? Woo! Yay! Will they, though? I feel like some of this is current. Well, you never know what we're going to talk about, do you? I just did I did that fart come out on camera? Um, uh, did you, did you fart <laughs> really loud? Yeah, oh my god, I didn't hear it. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. That's Whitney's favorite yeah. thing. Farts oh. are my favorite thing. Oh, okay. Well, next time I'll try to preserve, I'll put my <laughs> laptop a little lower, put it right up to your butt. <laughs> We oh, were man. talking about how, like, everyone has just forgotten any kind of social decorum. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, we've, there have been some glass door reviews that have been left upon my company from people who are still working there that are like, oh, you bold. You bold at home. Okay. <laughs> yeah, people Also, don't. I've been farting nonstop, and there's just no way I'm going to not be able to do that in public. <laughs> It's going to be hard to stop that habit. But you got two dogs to blame it on, too. So that's nice. That's true. But they won't be with me at the mall. Are you smoking a corncob pipe? <laughs> From the future. Oh, my it's a It's a God. vape that looks like a, a key. Like, oh, I got to get to my car. <laughs> no, oh, it's that's that's not Okay, illegal. I remember that. Just for some Are reason. take me to jail. Are you smoking a corncob pipe? It looked like a Sherlock Holmes pipe. I don't oh know. My Look, God. we've all given up. <laughs> that social decorum is out the window, except for my smoking habits, which are now yeah. very fancy. <laughs> Real uppity. <laughs> Look down on you through my nose and my corncob Well, speaking of uppity, let's talk about Stephen of Bourbon. Sounds like a bitch. That's not who we're going to talk about him, but we're also going to talk about, most importantly, St. Gwynefert. Gwynefert? Gwynefert. St. Gwynefert. Oh, I like it. Possibly St. Gwynefort. I don't know. It's French. But Gwynefert is more fun to say. Yeah. So Stephen of Bourbon was around in the 1200s. And he was a Dominican preacher, um, not Dominican like Dominican Republic, like Dominican like that was his 
uh, order mm. in the Catholic Church. And what was going on in the 1200s in the Catholic Church is they were doing inquisitions, but not the Spanish Inquisition. This is earlier. These inquisitions were less about like catching and torturing and more about going around like finding pockets of people doing Catholicism wrong. So, so it was more inquisitive. It was more inquisitive. It was a little gentler. And it was just solving this problem they had. You know, they didn't have TV, they didn't have radio, they didn't have newspapers, they didn't have literacy, they didn't even have like wheels that worked well. So like information was sort of word of mouth. And a lot of these little towns in Europe that had only become Catholic like a few hundred years before at most were sort of just winging it based on hearsay and what traders would tell them Catholicism was. And like local priests would just sort of make shit up. And it wasn't, uh, it was sort of Catholic policy that if like any local superstition was around, like don't try to squash it, just, just try to turn it into something Catholic. And that was pretty smart in terms of marketing, you know, but it was, it still led to some really weird shit going on. So the second inquisition happened. First one was about killing uh, anybody who was a heretic. The second one was about going around and trying to like find the weirdos and like tell them, hey, here's how you really do Catholicism. Stephen of Bourbon we know about because he left a very detailed journal and it is highly entertaining if you're into the second inquisition and also <laughs> all you second inquisition fans out there definitely check out stevie he is your dude he's entertaining not only because uh he's like a really uppity stick in the mud kind of like ramrod doesn't like anything that's free and loose and fun going around the country um, but also because he was like kind of the 1200s or 13th century X-Files. Like he would go into weird little villages, find some weird shit, investigate it, be his own, like, because he was a priest, he still believed in superstitious weird stuff. So he was both like Mulder and Scully. And he would have like arguments in this journal about whether or not these people were divinely inspired or just insane and needed to be like brought to heel. And then he would kind of decide and then he would tell him what's up. So a lot of fun, um, but the best story to come out of it and probably the most famous to this day is his discovery of St. Guinefort. So he went into this little town in Southeastern France and uh, was just kind of asking around like, so how y'all doing your Catholicness? And, and who um, has the weirdest name here? Yeah, and the, this woman in the town was like, well, we're all very holy and church-going, and around here, most of us are most proud of our local saint, St. Guinefort. And at the time, this was literally how you became a saint. Now there's all these things, you have to perform a certain number of miracles and become like world famous, and then maybe the Pope will like do a thing. Back then, it was like, Oh, you just want to call somebody around you who seemed holy a saint? Cool. We'll just uh, double check that and absorb them. And that's how like almost all the saints became saints. Hmm. So he was like, okay, this St. Guinefort sounds awesome. Uh, we might be able to add St. Guinefort to like the official saint list back in Rome. Oh, goody. Uh, tell me what St. Guinefort did. And she was like, well, 
he was a martyr. And he was like, good, good, good. Martyrs are good. And what he did was he was staying in the house of our local Lord, or like the knight who runs our town. And there was a snake in the bedroom of their only child. And the snake started approaching the cradle. And Guinefort ran after the snake, attacked it, bit it to death, even though the snake bit him all over the face. He literally <gasps> chewed on that snake until it died. Snake left covered in blood. Guinefort left covered in blood. Now, when the knight got home and he saw Guinefort in the room with the baby and the blood all over his mouth, he, well, first the mom got home and she was like, oh my God. And then like the maid saw it and was like, oh my God. And the knight got home and was like, oh shit, Guinefort killed our baby and he killed Guinefort. And then later they found the snake and they realized what had happened was that Guinefort had totally eaten that snake up and had saved the baby. Now, was Guinefort a dog? Yes. Okay. This this really baffled Stephen until he asked more about Guinefort's appearance and found out that he was a greyhound and a good boy. He's a good boy. He's such a good boy. So they're like, okay, yeah, St. Guinefort was a greyhound. And what happens is because he saved our local lord's baby, when our babies get sick, we go pray to St. Guinefort to help our child and it almost always works. So that's his miracles. And Stephen was like, okay, we haven't done a dog yet, but I don't think there's anything in the rules against it. I guess we could have a saint who's a dog. They don't really have souls, that's a problem. And he's like kind of like debating this in his journal. Um, and he's like, well, tell me more about like this prayer ritual. Like if it's a sufficient miracle, maybe I could go back to the Pope and say like, make an exception. And they're like, oh, okay, so what we do, what happened was, Guinefort, when he got, you know, axed to death by the knight, they took his body and they buried it in an old unused well outside of town. And then we planted six oak trees around it. And those oak trees grew really fast. And then what happened was we go and we take our sick babies and we pray at the well for a little bit. And then we go between these two oak trees that grew really, really fast and the mom holds the baby body through the oak trees. Well, first she strips the baby naked and hangs all the diapers up on like uh, the branches around the area to like kind of purify it. And also we throw a shit ton of salt on the baby. Okay, and then you take your naked baby and you shove it between the trees and you toss it to this old crone who lives in the woods. And she catches the baby and she throws it back. And the mom catches the baby again, but without seeing it. And if they can do this six times without dropping the baby, then they, bear, then they put the baby at the foot of the tree overnight and they come back. And if the baby's alive, then we'll know that St. Guinefort interceded to save the baby. And if the baby's dead, then we'll know it's just a defective baby and that the fawns <laughs> of the forest had come to, you know, to take it away because it was my other kin that really didn't count as a real baby anyway. So... Yeah. There's a there's a movie of, with this. Sorry. With the where they put Guinevere? a baby I well no, where they put the baby like in a tree overnight. Yeah. Is that like this is gonna 
that, this is going to come to me. Some fucking Game of Thrones shit, and like that's how the first dead baby was created. That is true, <laughs> but I'm thinking of something else. <laughs> People just love putting babies in trees. Yeah, I mean. It's sort of like the, uh, if she floats, she's a witch kind of solution to a sick baby, but whatever. So Stephen heard all this and he was like, they're like, is this Catholic? And he said, no, this is not Catholic. And so that ended the sainthood of Guinevere. He was like, and it just been an accidental miracle where the babies got better, but like, you're doing all this witchcraft. No. So what he had them do was he had them dig up and burn the grove of trees in a pyre over the well um, after they had dug up the dog's bones to make sure that the dog's bones got burnt up to ashes. And then they took the ashes and they spread them all over the ground so that nothing would grow there. Um, And then he held a quick church service to explain to everybody in the town to fucking cut it out. Just, Just stop it. Just don't do that anymore. That's bad. That sounds more barbaric than any of the shit that they were doing up until then. You know, like I said, everybody was kind of just making shit up. This was St. Stephen's on-the-spot call for how to teach them a lesson. This wasn't like out of a playbook from Rome. Right. If only we had lived back then and we could have just made up fucking religion. That would have been cool. Exactly. Everybody was having a fun time. Uh, So anyway, uh, they did stop throwing their babies into trees overnight to see whether or not they were changelings, but they did not stop praying to St. Guinevere. And so up until about 1971, there was still an annual ritual on August 22nd at the spot of St. Guinevere's bones, where uh, this whole town is called St. Roque in Lyon would go and pray to St. Guinevere. So even though he wasn't officially recognized, uh, that, um, town recognized that he was a good boy oh i love oh, all he was little, the best boy he was they have like saint guinefort little pictures of him and he yeah. looks kind of like almost kind of like a greyhound-esque dog yeah he was maybe not as skinny yeah exactly what um, a good boy yeah. so the irony of this whole thing is that saint guinefort only persisted because stephen of bourbon wrote about this whole thing in his journal and it was the one story everybody remembered uh from it and like that kept the legend of saint guinefort alive instead of actually ending the the whatever the cult also, i bet I that bet- nerd was pissed <laughs> yeah i bet everybody also was just like God, I feel so bad for axing this dog to death because it was just trying to save the baby. Ah, whatever. Yeah. I'm going to start worshiping St. Guinefort. Oh, yeah. It's a good saint. There's a, if you want, if you want uh, more information, go to thegreyhoundsaint.com. Like, there's a whole, whole website kind of dedicated to Guinefort. I might just start, you know, if my friend's kids get sick, I'm like, I know what to do. Let me have that overnight. I'm going to go throw it over a tree. You got any extra diapers laying around? I can hang up in those trees. Well, where's your, you don't need an old crone from the woods. Do you have one of those? Lisa is the old crone. Oh, shit. Sorry. Yeah. Of course. True. (laughs) 
Well, I loved it. My story isn't about saints. It's about possible murder. Dun, dun, dun. It, where does Lisa keep going? She just keeps walking away like we don't fucking see it. <laughs> I've got dogs that are annoying. Kill them. <laughs> I've talked about it. It's on my to-do list. Please don't. <laughs> At least give me pee. I'll take pee. Um, so the year is 2003. Um, everything's great, <laughs> basically. Like my, I'm sorry. My friend and I today called the year 2003 the 1990s of the 2000s. Like in a bad way or a good way? <laughs> no, just in a way. Like in a way. Okay. 2003 was the 90s of the 2000s, man. Right? We yeah. all have on our low-rise jeans. Yeah. Our like baby tees, maybe like a white belt and some converses. Um, and there's a new couple. They're 26-year-old David Gabriel Watson, he goes by Gabe, and his newlywed wife, Tina Watson. So Tina, born in 1977, which in 2003, how old would that make her? Anybody? 26. That's it. Um, I assume, I'm not checking the math. Well, she's one year older than me, so that, oh, yeah. a lot easier for you. I get, I fucking get it. Um, so Tina and Gabe met in college, and Tina's parents uh, were kind of, I want to say, a little strict. They didn't necessarily like Gabe very much, but Tina was like, "I'm in love with him, and I'm in my mid twenties, and." this is a great idea to get married right now. <laughs> and um, her parents were In like, there. fucking fine, whatever. Um, and Tina and Gabe get married. And their plan is to go to Australia for their honeymoon, which sounds awesome. And they, Gabe is like pretty into scuba diving. So he, they planned a seven-day adventure on the Great Burial Reef in the Coral Sea. Great Barrier Reef or Great Burial Reef? Oh, zing! <laughs> Little do you know, I mean, that's terrible to say. Anyways, <laughs> Great Barrier Reef. Okay. Um, Gabe was a pretty experienced diver. He had 55 dives logged. Which is a good amount um, if uh, you're, you've ever been scuba diving or gotten certified. Uh, you have a little dive log and every time you go on like an actual dive, you, the like dive supervisor writes your shit down. Like it still seems kind of old school, the fact that you carry your dive log with you and they're like, yeah, you were here at Aquarina Springs yesterday. Um, which is how I got certified and since have not scuba dived at all. Anyways, um, 
Gabe, well, 55 if, dives. Sorry, go ahead. If it had been past 2003, it does look like there are dive logs in apps now. I mean, that makes sense. But even when I got certified, which was, I don't know, maybe like four, three or four years ago, no, more than that, five, uh, I had a log that was just like a little book, almost kind of like a passport type sized thing. Anyways, that sounds more fun. Sorry. It is a little fun. Just letting uh, all the scuba divers who are listening know that we know. We know what you're doing. We're in the we're know good. about your cool new app. Mm-hmm. Um, Gabe has 55 dives. Tina, when she, Gabe was like, I want to go scuba diving for our honeymoon. She's like, cool, I'll get certified. She gets certified and has done, completed 11 dives. All in a quarry, never in open sea water or anything really with any type of current, which is way different. Um, so they're on their fantastic voyage and um, they're going to explore the SS Yangala shipwreck site, which is. 48 nautical miles southeast of Townsville, Australia. I've been there. Townsville. You've been I've been there. there. Oh my God, she's been to Townsville. Yeah. It's a good place to go see the Great Barrier It's like a town. It's, it's like, like a ville. You know. It's like the, the name of a town in some CW show. It's literally the name of the town in Powerpuff Girls. Oh yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. In Townsville. The city of Townsville. Yes. Um, So they go out on the boat to get to this shipwreck with a bunch of other people. There's a, uh, like a lead diver as most dives. I think you have to have, if I remember correctly. Um, they're out there, they hop in the water, like within the first couple minutes of being in the water, Gabe and Tina both resurface and Gabe is like, hey, my dive computer is broken. I, like, can somebody please fix this or give me a different one? Uh, and then that does happen. So there are two, well, I'll get to that later. They go back into the water for a second time. So that's where shit gets bad. I Uh, love every story you tell the minute you say that. Do I say that a lot? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. No, I'm such a fucking nerd. I genuinely like it. We should have like a sounder or something. No. It's just like a big diarrhea, like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, I feel so predictable. Well, anyways. um, It's clear down in the water that something is going wrong for Tina. And like I said, there's other people on this dive they have a master diver with them um but he's monitoring a bunch of people who are on this dive and they're over 40 feet into the ocean um 
and people who were kind of close to Tina and Gabe see that there's some type of, you know, like panic going on because it's really easy to panic when you're underwater because your first instinct is to just like bolt to the top. But of course, like you'll get the bends, like you can severely injure yourself. And also, even if you try to, you kind of start to try and breathe, even though you're underwater. Um, so from what people have said they saw, it looked like Gabe was almost kind of like bear hugging Tina. And then they see him swim up to the surface and Tina starts to sink down. Um, he gets up to the surface and the master diver realizes he's like, Hey, something bad happened. The master diver realizes shit is going on. He goes down to the bottom, picks Tina up and like bolts her to the, surface like fuck it you know the bins aren't ever going to be as bad as actually dying um so when they get to the surface they pull her on to their boat so there are two boats out there that day um tina is on one boat and the spoil sport and um when Gabe had surfaced, he got on a different boat and they're trying to revive Tina on this boat. And Gabe is on the other one. And it's just like, I'm just going to like stay over on here. Um, oh wait, Tina was on the jazz too. And Gabe was on the spoil sport. Not that it really matters. They were on different boats. Gabe didn't feel like going over to the jazz too to check and see if his fucking bride of 11 days is okay. 40 minutes to revive Tina and give her CPR and it doesn't work. Tina dies. Oh. Um, so they call the authorities. And they come and Gabe is like, it was some um, accident. Like, I don't know what happened. Um, I tried to inflate. He said the reason like he was, it looked like he was giving a bear hug to her was because he was trying to inflate um, her like body. Like you can pull down and kind of inflate your vest. If you absolutely have to go to the top, it'll inflate your whole thing and just even if you're dead, it'll float you to the top. Um, but he couldn't figure out how to do it. And so he panicked and came to the surface. And that's what he says roughly that the other people saw. And what's fucked up is there's this picture of Tina, like because there were other people on this dive, there's a picture of like, that a scuba diver had taken of his wife in, you know, like underwater, like, yeah, I'm a scuba diver. And in the background, you can see Tina's body, like on the bottom of the ocean floor, just dead because oh. she fucking died. It's oh. all over the place. Um, oh. So obviously 
people are kind of like, what the fuck is happening? Um, and what happened with this shit? Uh, he is a suspect. A lot of people think that he, um, when they resurfaced the first time, because he said his computer was broken, a lot of people think that when they were up, Gabe turned off her air tank. And so when they went back down, further down, she realized that her air tank was off and couldn't get it back on. Mm -hmm. And he bear hugged her until he thought she was dead. And then he turned back on her air tank so that when she was brought back up to the surface, it didn't look like she had any type of loss of air. Um, and Tina's parents find out and they're like, you fucking killed our daughter or you just let her die. Um, in the autopsy, they find that she died of an air embolism um, and or there was evidence of an air embolism and the cause of death was drowning. Um, a coronial inquiry was held and that's like kind of trial with <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just I mean, coronial, coronial inquiry. Yeah, inquiry. <laughs> um, like it should be about coronavirus, honestly. Uh -huh. That'll happen a year from now when hopefully Donald Trump is charged yes. with some type of crime against humanity. That's what we'll call his Nuremberg trials, the coronial inquiry. Yes. <laughs> um, so during the coronial inquiry, um, the prosecutor's evidence showed that Watson's story was contradicting the record of his actions stored by his dive computer. They suggested that he had turned off Tina's regulator and held her under the water until she was unconscious, turned back on the air, and let her sink before resurfacing himself. Um, they described it with reenactments and various <laughs> scenarios conducted by police divers. And uh, like I said, Tina's father is like, you fucking did this on purpose and you increased her life insurance policy and made yourself the sole beneficiary before she fucking died. Oh, that's always, that's a bad look. And everyone's like, oh no. Um, turns out though, he didn't really do that. He and Tina had looked into increasing her health or her life insurance policy, but in the guy who was giving them their life insurance policy in his notes, he was like, talked about it, are gonna revisit later on this year whenever they get back from their honeymoon. So it wasn't really a thing, yeah. even though everybody thinks it was. Um, I feel like I'm about to burp. I'm sorry. It's it hurts because it's a wine burp, and it's more like our burn. Let it burn. fly. Let it go. 
It's not a fun one. Don't hold back anymore. I can drink a bunch <laughs> of Diet Coke if you really want me to like burp, burp. Um, <laughs> anyway. Burp, 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 burp. Um, <laughs> so. Sorry, I lost my place. Cut you this burp, out. Bitch. You better burp, bitch. <laughs> Don't cut this out. <laughs> Please cut it out. Um, okay. So, he doesn't get charged with anything in Australia immediately. He goes back to America. In Alabama, where they're from, um, Tina's dad is like, I'm gonna fucking take you to court seeking $45,000 for the accidental death plus compensation, medical expenses, phone calls, taxi fares, all this stuff. It gets dismissed in 2008 on the grounds that the Australian investigation into the death is causing the husband to reasonably apprehend that he risks self-incrimination in his case. Um, His Australian legal team believes it's not in his best interest to pursue damage claims in the U.S. And they're like, you need to go back to Australia and deal with this shit. So in 2008, he goes back to Australia and... He pleads guilty to manslaughter, saying, like, um, what did he accidentally? Yeah, that it was like, failed. Yeah. So basically, he, yeah, pleads not guilty to murder, guilty to manslaughter, and convicted of manslaughter. The Crown Prosecutor pointed out that over time, Watson had given the police 16 different versions of what had happened the day that Tina died. And none of the versions matched what the eyewitnesses had seen. (laughs) Um, When Tina was brought to the surface, her regulator was still in her mouth, her tank still had air, and tests indicated no fault with her equipment. Um, the prosecutor. I, uh, I know you said tank, but yes. I thought you said taint. Yeah. And I am just high enough to think that's the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> no problems with her taint either, as far as it I was know. full of air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> air inflated taint. It was an um, taint. <laughs> <laughs> um, The prosecutor described Watson as an experienced diver trained in rescuing and um, trained specifically in rescuing panic divers and that he purposefully allowed his wife to sink to the ocean floor without making any serious attempts to revive her. Watson did not inflate Tina's buoyancy control device or remove her weight belt, which is fairly easy to do. And he didn't fulfill his obligations to her as a dive buddy, which is an important system. The buddy system, duh. 
know diving was just Boy Scouts. <laughs> I mean, it kind of is. Diving is so fucking scary. Like, it's, you know, you're not supposed to be down there. No, you're not. Don't go unless you have a buddy um, <laughs> who's not trying to murder you. That's an important aspect of buddyhood. Yeah. Watson gets sentenced in Australia to four and a half years in prison, but he ends up only having to serve 12 months. Um, before Is that a he, year in Australia time? In Australia, it's like an upside down year. That's actually just citizenship in Australia. <laughs> um, so he, before he went back to Australia, he got married to another woman who looks exactly like Tina. It's kind of creepy. A oh, lot of people, yeah. I mean, I guess he has a type if you want to say that. Um, a lot of people think that he fucking did it or at least in the least like allowed her to die instead of saving her. But they, there's this, they had kind of like a professional witness or whatever. What is it called? Why can't I think of it? Like a. The, I think it is professional witness. Sure. Or no, like a. An expert? Yeah. Like a an expert on trial or whatever got a professional witness expert um why not god oh. okay i just so, see all of the murders yes so this guy named colin mckenzie is a diving expert and they have him initially check out what or gabe's training and like his dive stuff and he comes to find after going through a bunch of things that Gabe really didn't have as much experience as it appeared um hmm. after going through his diver logs and certificates and histories that he didn't have access to initially he claimed that Gabe should not have been allowed in the water and never as a dive buddy for his wife, who had no open water scuba experience. Um, Tina had had a heart problem as well. And on the like release to go on that scuba diving thing for their honeymoon, she was like, nope, never had any heart problems, even though it was required that you let a dive expert know that you had, if you had had that type of thing. Um, <coughs> Gabe, Gabe had received rescue certification, which normally takes four days after completing a two day course in an Alabama quarry, which also is not the same as a, uh, Alabama quarry sounds like a sex act. <laughs> or like a fucking country band. It definitely um, sounds more dangerous than the open ocean. I think if you can rescue somebody from an Alabama yeah. quarry, you probably qualify as like a Navy SEAL. So 
according to the expert <laughs> diver witness they had, um, Gabe had no hope of being competent. He could barely save himself that day, let alone his wife. And I don't believe he intended to kill her. Um, revelations that Watson that or that Gabe Watson that day had needed help to put on his diving equipment underscored that he was a dangerous amateur who showed quote a complete lack of courage when he damn I'm gonna call you a pussy too on my way out oh man that's manslaughter yeah (laughs) exactly and it is you're just still kind of a little bitch. Yeah, you're a wuss. Uh, the, the dive company had offered an orientation and a guided dive with a dive master, and Tina and Gabe were like, no, we're good. We've been in that Alabama quarry. It worked <laughs> out fine. It's the same as open fucking ocean. Um, yeah, and so later on that year... The company pled guilty to contravening safety standards, um, and they were fined $6,500. Well, that'll teach Is that them. the same as intervening? No. I think it would be the opposite. No, contravening. Or like going like, around it. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So... Anyways, lots of people think that he did it on purpose, but I think that he probably was just incompetent and then panicked when she was going under and then just kind of let her die and save himself. I think one of my biggest fear is drowning and it's not necessarily the act of drowning, it's dying in the ocean. That's a good place to drown. I mean, yeah, but, like, then you die in the ocean. Like, what's going to eat me? We might not even know about it yet. Well, you know why the ocean is salty? From all the people. (laughs) Yeah. From all the bad feelings. No, from all the the dead shit in it that's rotted and decomposed in the water. Oh, yeah, that's why I hate the beach. Yeah, beach sucks. Not a fan. So this one, I just, oh boy, do I want to talk about Woody Harrelson's dad. It's nuts. This is nuts. Um, So Charles Boyd Harrelson, how fun is that middle name, um, was born on July 23rd in 1938 in Lovelady, Texas. Um, His mother was Alma. She lived from 1903 to 2002 so good genes woody yeah Um, and then void his father lived from 1901 to 1936 uh harrelson i know i know not great um so harrelson in his early 20s he goes out to california he's selling encyclopedias door to door in the daytime and then all night he is out gambling um and then actually yeah in 1960 uh that's when he was convicted of his first felony an armed robbery 
you will see me not talk about that again for a minute because it's so less important than these other pinpoints. Um, so later on in the 60s, he becomes a hitman for the mafia uh, in order to pay off some gambling debts. Um, the body count, according to him, has been totaled in the neighborhood of 50 and Ooh. some informed sources. But a lot of uh, mafiosa have said, like, mm, he may have been involved in that many killings. Maybe driving the car or something, but he carried out maybe six killings. Anyway. That's still um, a lot. I mean, if yeah. you're there for, like, 50 killings, that's a shitload anyways. He did like 12% of the killings he saw. That's a high percentage. Yeah. We should give him that. Yeah. She knows math. At least. <laughs> uh, she does. So, uh, Charles Harris, Harrelson was married four times. He had Woody um, and two other boys with his second wife, Diane Lou Oswald. Um, and Woody was actually born on the same day, July 23rd, um, in 1961. And then, uh, Charles disappears from the family's home in Houston in 1968, leaving Diane with them boys. Um, in May 28th of, in May 28th, that's one, sometime in the day, um, <laughs> 1968, Harrelson is tried for the murder of Alan Harry Berg. Um, shortly after Alan's disappearance, um, he his father reported or hired a private investigator in Houston with a great reputation. Like this guy was the shit. His name was Claude Harrelson. Uh, and magically, within three days, Claude comes back to Berg's father. And he's like, your son's been murdered, dude. Um, and then he was also like, I know where the body is, but I can't, or they'll tell me where the body is, but they won't unless they give me less than $3,000. Um, and that was on top of the $5,000 reward that uh, Allen Berg's father had put out to know more about this. So um, Allen's brother, David Berg, who's a Houston lawyer, uh, he wrote a memoir called Run, Brother, Run about this, if you're interested. Um, but he said that as it turns out, uh, Claude's brother Charles not only murdered his brother, but then combined with Claude, shook down his dad, right, for an extra three grand. So Claude and Charles are brothers. <laughs> um, prosecutors try to convince an Angleton jury that a female accomplice lured Allenberg from a lounge uh, and delivered him gift wrapped and waiting oh sorry and brought him to Harrelson who knocked him out and stuffed him in a trunk of a car Driving to a remote location, he shot the helpless victim once in the head and strangled him to death with his bare hands. Um, Post shooting right. him in the head. Huh. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. thorough. 
That's, I feel like opposite. Like, I feel like you would try to strangle them. And then when that didn't work, you'd. Although yeah. it is way easier to strangle somebody. They resist a lot less after you shoot them in the head. Karina knows from experience. Got a lot right. less. Yep. She knows math. She knows murder. <laughs> um, personally. So personally. this murder happened. Uh, they paid him $1,500 to actually do the murder. That to me seems like a pretty low rate, even in the 60s. Um, so when he goes to court, he's represented by Percy Foreman, whose name you may remember, but he uh, repped James Earl Ray, um, the guy who killed Martin Luther King Jr. And he has, Percy Foreman has a career in which he's only lost 53 of more than 1,500 death penalty cases. Dang. This is a slick-ass lawyer. Karina, could you run the stats on that real quick? Can you tell yeah, us the he percentage? Good. <laughs> he, he good. He good. Um, so on September 22nd, 1970, he's acquitted by uh, a jury in Angleton, Texas. They said that... Um, yeah, so he the woman that they said was with him, it said that he liked to have witnesses to his murders. Um, you know, a lot of killers do, you know, they kind of get off on it. So he liked to have witnesses there. And uh, this woman, her name was Sandra Seuss at Sue Attaway. Um, and she, Attaway Sue. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, and she could not, te- she wouldn't testify so without her testimony, the case would obviously die. Um, and they had a common law marriage. So in Texas, if you have a common law marriage, your testimony is disregarded. So yeah. he was acquitted. Oh. <laughs> he was acquitted. Then they, uh, the second murder. So um, in 1968, this guy, Pete Scar. Scamardo meets Harrelson. Um, Pete Scamardo was, um, he was a co-owner of the Commodity Trading Company. They did grain trading. And uh, he co-owned that with Sam DeGalia Jr. And that was like his best friend since second grade. So they like did everything together. Wow. Um, yes. And so Scamardo meets Harrelson in 1968. And uh, Scarmato's been trafficking heroin because, you know, grain, grain salesman. Um, so he's been trafficking heroin across the Mexican border. And then he brought Harrelson on to um, take it to Kansas City to distribute. So he was a drug runner. Um, this was within a very short amount of time. Um, Harrelson lost a shipment of heroin worth $5,000 during a traffic stop. Can you imagine someone just being like, What's that? I'll take it. On your way now. Um, Scamardo began pressing, uh, pursuing. What? Oh, Scamardo began uh, pressuring Harrelson to kill his partner so that he could collect on the insurance policy that was thought to be worth a hundred thousand um, dollars. They had mutual insurance policies. These best friends. Oh, there's your tontine. 
Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take out insurance policies on all of y'all. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> so Sam DeGilead Jr. is killed on July 6, 1968 in McAllen, Texas. Um, Harrelson Scamardo and an accomplice Jerry Watkins are all arrested. Uh, Watkins cuts a deal real fast. Um, and then let's bring old Percy Foreman back into the game, right? He's, he's our winner. He's our boy. He gets terrible people out of things. Um, so Pete Scamardo uh, was tried and found guilty of being an accomplice to the murder, and he was sentenced to seven years probation. Foreman uh, must be nice did, being a white dude. Oh, I know. Um, so Foreman does this thing where he, he has these like trademark surprises. So he brings in a nightclub singer who swore the defendant was with her the night of the murder and her testimony created enough doubt in one juror's mind to deadlock the jury. Aw, 12 angry men. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, so then Harrelson was retried in 1973, so five years later, um, and it was, you know, supposed to be the exact same trial. Like, Percy Foreman's over here, like, I'm just going to do that same shit. So the singer's on her way, but she hears that a Texas ranger is waiting at the courthouse with a warrant for her. So her ass takes off immediately (laughs) to the Caribbean, never to be seen again. Understandable. Um, Yes. Uh, so Harrelson at that one is sentenced to, he's convicted and sentenced to 15 years in prison. Um, in 1978, after five years, he's released for good behavior. Um, so on May 29th, 1979, U.S. District Judge John H. Wood Jr. is shot in the parking lot outside of his San Antonio, Texas house. Uh Uh-oh. Yep. Antonio. Yep. So for a quarter million dollars, uh, this was the first murder of a sitting federal judge in the 20th century. Hmm. Quarter mil. Everybody's got their price. Um, An accomplishment, really. Yeah. It's a record. (laughs) Yeah. So um, Harrelson is uh, apprehended by they had uh, they had a tape um, recording of a conversation that occur- <coughs> occurred um, when Joe Chagra visited his brother Hamiel Jimmy Chagra in prison um, we'll circle back to that um, so he Harrelson claims that he didn't kill Judge Wood, but he took credit for it because he owed Jimmy Chagra money. So Joe Chagra is a former Texas lawyer. Uh, He testifies against Harrelson in court. He's like, I asked him if uh, he was the one who murdered Judge Wood. He said, not only that, he said he was. Um, And then also Joe Chagra was like, by the way, it was a quarter mil. So, like, that's where that number came from. So, he was, like, 
here's exactly how much like I got this this dude did it um so they were both implicated in the assassination both Joe Chagra um and Harrelson Harrelson was uh convicted of killing Judge Wood after being hired by Jimmy Chagra of El Paso he was sentenced to two life terms based on uh, the conversation that the two brothers had in prison. And then Jimmy got a separate trial from the others in Florida. And uh, since Joe didn't testify at Jimmy's trial, he made a plea bargain uh, and then didn't testify. And then without enough evidence, Jimmy was found not guilty. So Harrelson is in jail even though these other guys ordered it. Um, on top of that, his wife was sentenced to a consecutive term of 20 years total on multiple convictions of conspiracy and perjury related to the assassination. Yikes. That seems unfair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This arrest came... Um, there was a six-hour standoff uh, I think in 1980, where he was high on cocaine. Um, during that standoff. Yeah, it yeah. was 1980 after all. Yeah. Um, during the standoff, he threatened suicide, uh, saying that he had killed both Judge Wood and JFK. Ah. In a... <laughs> in a <laughs> that's why he says into this uh and then you know later he's like look at the time i said that i killed kennedy you know it that was one i was fucked up dude and then two it, maybe that could have got me a longer life like what if i got the death penalty but then i was like bah, bah, bah. jfk um, Did I say JFK? I meant MLK and RFK. All of them. I killed them all. <laughs> Give me a laugh. <laughs> Give me a Yeah. Um, so then Joe Chagra comes back into this one and he's like, look, he did he claimed to have shot kennedy and drew maps of where he was hiding during the assassination and but then he was like i mean i don't believe him uh but the so you know he's like this guy's he, he said all that to be like this guy's crazy so the fbi was like mm, we're not gonna follow this much more Probably because they hired him. Um, I was going to say, because yeah. the FBI knows who killed JFK. Yeah. Yup. Um, so part of this goes into, um, he's believed to be the youngest and tallest of the three tramps. Um, so that's a, a thing with the uh, whole JFK conspiracy theorist community. Um, there, I like the three after, tramps. That's fine. I know it's cute. Are there three ladies with them. No, nope, just tramps. Uh, so minutes after uh, JFK shot, Dallas police found a trio of unusually well dressed dudes in a box car behind the grassy knoll. <laughs> so they 
there are many photos of them walking these three dudes out of uh, Dealey Plaza. So um, they say that uh, uh, Lois Gibson, a well-known forensic artist, matched photographs of Harrelson to the photographs of the youngest looking of the three tramps. So that's just the thing, maybe. He fucking I mean, did. it's not his fault. He was just hanging out in a suit in a boxcar box with the boxcar children, like, and JFK <laughs> happened to be there in Dallas. Like, that was, yeah. He was also in a babysitter's yeah. club. Yes. <laughs> and I'm sure there's one other, like, Hardy Boys. I guess that's too old. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. sorry. Hardy we Boys really railed it there. No, I just started thinking about the Hardy Boys and got excited it was and just like kept a, thinking about it. I was making a train joke. It's fine. Um, on Independence Day 1995, July 4th, uh, Welcome to Earth, Harrelson and two other... Actually, that <laughs> movie came other, out on that day. I Did know. it? In July the year 1995? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah, I did. Damn. I, the things that I don't remember are <laughs> vast, but the things that I do remember are so questionable. Um, <laughs> They're pure. They're pure. They are. Um, so July 4th, 1995, Harrelson and two other inmates, Gary Settle and Michael Rivers, attempt to escape from the Atlanta Federal Pen- Penitentiary using a makeshift rope. Let's go classic with it, boys. Oh, man. Um, Homemade's the way to go. Yeah. DIY. Put that shit on Etsy, Playboy. Um, <laughs> so then one warning shot was fired at them from the prison's tower, and the trio surrendered. Okay. Okay. Y'all could have. Um, so Harrelson is subsequently transferred to Supermax Prison, uh, ADX Florence in Florence, Colorado. In a letter to a friend, he was like, you know what? This shit rules. I love it. Uh, there's, there's not enough hours in the day for my needs, as a matter of fact. The silence is wonderful. Uh, I mean, you are from, yeah. from where? Like South Texas to like, Colorado. I'm sure it's way more pleasant up there in a prison. Yeah, the air is crisp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sky is blue. Um, blue. 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 Gwinnifer. Uh, uh, okay. In 2003, uh, Chagra recanted his previous statements. He was like, you know what? It wasn't him that shot Judge Wood. It was someone else. Oh, man. Um, yeah. This is exhausting. So, I know. So, Harrelson's son, Woody, whenever that uh, statement was like, never mind, he was like, oh, 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 hey, 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 let's get this conviction turned around. Um, but that didn't happen for him. And then on, uh, so David Wait, Berg. His dad is like innocent? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know Woody has been like fighting for him, right? Isn't that a big mm-hmm. part of it? 
Like, his dad was obviously, like, a criminal, but the shit he's in jail for isn't necessarily kosher. Okie dokie. Yeah. Woody is very, like, he's talked publicly very little about it, but he has said, like, yeah, I go visit him, we talk, we hang out, and it's weird because we can, I can see my mannerisms in him, like, we do the same so he's very like, you know, I don't think he's out there screaming from the rooftops, but he is like active in wanting to clear his father's name. Um, yeah. So uh, David Berg, the brother of the first murder, Alan, um, when he spoke on like his feelings about a retrial for Harrelson, and he said uh, he has inserted himself into the story because over the years he has attempted, oh, he's talking about Woody, Um, he has attempted, if not to heroize his dad, and some of the things Woody Harrelson has said seem to me to be insensitive in trying to legitimize his dad to the survivors of the many men Charles Harrelson murdered. The Texas Rangers think maybe as many as 20. I understand sticking up for your dad, but do it quietly. So. Okay. So it's more like a point of style. All right. Yeah. I mean, really, that's kind of what that boiled down to. Like, is is it less insensitive if he sneaks behind your back about it? Yeah, seriously. Right. I understand talking shit, but, like, not to my face. That's what he said. <laughs> yeah. Um, on March 15, 2007, Harrelson, Charles Harrelson was found dead in his cell, having died at the age of 68 of a heart attack. Oh. I didn't Chagra know he died was in, dead. Yeah. Um, Chagra died in July 2008 of cancer. Also, I do want to say that as I was researching this, I definitely found a podcast that came out about this literally weeks ago called Son of a Hitman. So if you would like a more detailed, likely less high version of this story, strap in because they've got episodes, plural, dedicated to this shit. I know I'm going to listen. This, it's just fucking insane. Yeah, that whole, like, well, I had it written down and emailed to myself as one that I should look into for Weird Brunch also, but I didn't do it, and I'm glad I didn't because that would have been a, that would have been weird. I've expected it to happen a couple times, like when something sort of current comes up and it's right up everyone's alley, it's like, are we both going to come to this and just, I don't know. I wonder if it would work. That's all I'm saying. But probably yeah, that podcast is good. Not as good as ours. Well, you heard it here first. <laughs> but yeah, heard it here. Well, I mean, theirs is already out. But yeah, heard it here first. Yeah, but you heard it here first, listener. Because what um, yeah. about there is you've been like, I thought you were also saying that I had heard it here first, but I hadn't. Oh, well, yeah, I could have been talking to you too. 
Mm. <laughs> uh, I just think this is the most Texas story maybe ever. Like, fuck the Alamo. This shit is nuts. <laughs> Remember Woody Harrelson's dad. Charles Boyd? I want to name a kid Boyd. We should call it the uh, Dadamo. The Dadamo. No, we shouldn't. I take that back. You know, the, the best, the, Alamo's the second best thing that happened in, in San Antonio. The first, killing Judge John Wood. I had a good time doing this. Yeah. I hope y'all did too. I did. Um, also, Always. if, so I've been going down like a Reddit skincare addiction wormhole because now like nobody wears makeup and I can just stay at home and like super hydrate my face and everyone was like use Vaseline to like lock in whatever moisturizer you're using at night and so I was like all right fuck it I'll order some Vaseline and I didn't realize that the thing I ordered from Amazon came with like multiple tubs so if anyone needs <laughs> like a tub of Vaseline, just hit me up and I will fucking give it to you. Cause wow. I All right. out of Vaseline. So tweet us at Weird Brunch about your Vaseline needs. Yeah, Vaseline needs. With that or we won't see them. Please do, cause I need to get rid of this fucking Vaseline. I don't want it all in my house. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Yeah. Have a great week, everybody. Yeah. And tweet <laughs> us and follow us at Weird Brunch. Bye.